You're listening to Common Sense with Oxen Managing Director Jeremy Wilson and host Gab Davenport. Listen and learn your way through financial discussions as Jeremy dives into business success and how to achieve this through planning, forecasting, execution, managing cash flow, budgeting, and everything in between. We hear you already. Not another boring financial podcast. No, no. Common Sense is not like any of those because, well, Jeremy is not like any other accountant. Trust us. Take a listen and you'll see what we mean. Common Sense. They're not as common as you think. Welcome back to 2021. We're here again talking all things finance and business success and how to go up, up and up. So today we're talking about cash flow. We actually had a message from a listener who was keen to hear more on um, cash flow management. So I thought this was a great one to kick the new year off with. So my first question for you is, what are the five principles of cash flow, Jeremy? And with little detail on each of these, if you could. Yeah, no worries, Gab. Really good question. Cash is king, as they say. So cash is the lifeblood of any business. Um, Without cash, the business won't survive. In fact, even very profitable businesses can fail because of poor cash flow. Now, it's interesting because we think profit equals cash, but quite often it it doesn't. And when a business is growing fast, often in startup mode, it needs working capital to fund that growth. Um, And that's why it's called working capital. Um, because the share capital has to work hard because the business is having to pay for stock, fund, payroll and all sorts of things. The fact that the business is making a profit on paper and yet cash is tight is precisely why every business owner needs to understand their cash flow drivers. Now, we may understand profit drivers, sales and its income, but what are cash flow drivers? And we need to look at the processes behind cash flow. How do we pay people? How do we get paid? So it's no longer about the sale, it's about banking the sale. So those are the first two Right, so once we're focused on the cash flow drivers, we then look at the processes behind the cash flow drivers. And we need to start focusing on treating the symptoms, not just the cause. So let's say that you're struggling for cash, your business is growing really hard. What are the processes you're using to collect in your cash? What are the processes you're using to pay your cash? Can we tweak any of these and would that make a difference to your bottom line in terms of bank balance. So there are various things that we want to focus on, uh, but mainly it's around the processes. And this is one of the areas that most accountants don't focus on. We're very good at measuring profit, but we generally don't spend a lot of time helping our customers with cash flow. Mm. So I've probably burbled on a little bit too much there. So (laughs) let me just re-remind myself the five key principles. Uh, Without cash, your business will not survive. That's principle number one. Um, You need to understand your key cash flow drivers. That's principle number two. Managing your cash flow is all about your processes. That's number three. Treating the symptoms of poor cash flow without fixing the underlying causes is time consuming and frustrating. So we need number five, which is you need to be prepared to make process changes. Right. What would be an example of some of those processes? Let's say that we have a process of sending out invoices at the end of the month with a due date. Please pay us on the 20th of the following. How about we change that process to let's send out some invoices weekly and let's change our terms to maybe seven days. Right. Let's put a process in in terms of how we follow up people, the reminders we send. All of those things will change our cash flow, but they're processes that we're changing. Yeah, and they definitely help sort of take that admin aside if you're setting up, you know, auto reminders or having 
um, a software, you know, like Xero or whatnot, help you along the way with that as well? Oh, 100%. Uh, you do get some pushback from people about too much automation. Mm. And quite often at the end of the day, the key for people when we're talking about cash collection may actually be that phone call. Mm. All right. But yeah, Xero reminders are a great tool, but they're not necessarily going to be the be all and the end all. Yeah, exactly. Nothing like a bit of personalization. 100%. <laughs> All right, great. So my next question um, is what what is the difference between profit and cash? You've sort of just touched on that, but the real difference between profit in a business and then actual cash. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and it's actually going to be answered by one simple word, but uh, we'll, we'll get on to that. <laughs> so what is profit for a start? Because I'm an accountant, I know what profit is, but not everyone does. So profit equals the total sales less the cost of the stock and all the other expenses that go into making the business. That's profit. Cash, on the other hand, is all cash that goes in, less all cash that comes out. Now, when you're looking at the statement of financial performance, or what we used to call the profit and loss, you'll see certain items in there. You'll see things like sales, you'll see things like interest, but you won't see other things in there that you would think, well, maybe that's part of the profit and loss. For instance, if you go and buy an asset like a car or a new computer, that doesn't sit in the profit and loss. So let's just have a look at a couple of key items. Let's say GST, is that in your profit and loss? No. Um, funnily enough, it comes out of your bank account, but all our profit and loss items are done excluding GST. Loan repayments, is that in the profit and loss? Well, a proportion of a loan repayment is, and that's called the interest, but the principal, which is the bit that pays down the loan, isn't. So on the one hand, we've got part of the loan payment being in the profit and loss and coming out of the bank account, and we've got the other part, which is the repayment of the capital, not going in the profit and loss, but still coming out of the bank account. Uh, as I said before, cash spent on assets, it doesn't go in the profit and loss, it does come out of the bank account. Um, likewise, cash that we receive from selling assets does go into the bank account, doesn't come into the profit and loss. There's an interesting one right at the end of my sort of list here that I like to focus on, and it's called depreciation, and it's a strange thing, depreciation. We know it doesn't come out of the bank account because it's a non-cash entry, and it does affect the profit and loss. But let's think about it for a minute. Let's say we've bought an asset for 100 bucks and we depreciate it for argument's sake, 10 bucks a year for five years. It's worth 50 bucks. At the end of the fifth year, we say, hey, we actually need to go and get another one. And funnily enough, that one's going to cost us 100 bucks again. Now, that 100 that we're now spending is the value of the asset of 50 plus all the depreciation that we've just written off. So it's like, it sort of does get into our cash and it sort of does get into our profit, but it's all about timing, right? And that's the difference between profit and cash. If you had a cash business, there's no difference between profit and cash. So the only difference is the timing. Mm. Like we make a sale in a cash business straight in the bank account. We make a sale in a non-cash business, we might get it 20, 30, 60, 100 days later. Timing. So the only difference between profit and cash at the end of the day is timing. Yeah, and all of that stuff can be very confusing. I know when I first set up my business, I have a business vehicle. But again, I didn't understand the the split of how you had to pay for that. Yeah. So the principal and then the um, interest. Then the interest. Yeah. So um, it's always good to talk to someone like yourself to understand those things. Yeah. <laughs> Very important. Um, now you touched on it in the, in the first question, but I just wanted to understand what the working capital cycle is. 
Cool. Yeah, working capital is an accounting term, um, but if we think about the words, um, if we look at the second word, capital, so that sort of says it's something to do with funds. Working says something to do with the business. How is our capital in the business working? So if we think of it, say we're a, a service provider like yourself. Um, we have cash that's in the bank account, yippee. Um, we go ahead and we make a sale, yay, like that. We then collect the sale and it goes back into the bank account. In between times, it might be sitting in accounts receivable. And that is your working capital. It's sitting there, but we haven't quite converted it into cash yet. Now, if you're a retailer or a manufacturer, you've got a few more steps to go through. So you're going to go and buy some stuff, right? You're then going to pay your supplier. You're then going to probably use that stuff to make something. Um, once you've made that something, you're probably going to sell it to someone. And that person is going to owe you the money, so they'll be sitting in accounts receivable. And then eventually they'll pay you, and it'll go straight back into cash. Now, I looked at a survey that the ANZ did many years ago. It was probably about five years ago, so it's a little bit out of date. But they actually asked the question, how long is that working capital cycle? How long does it take from the business owner spending some money on some stuff, making some stuff, selling some stuff, and then getting the money back in? Now, most people, when I ask this question, say, oh, it's 30 days, it's 60 days, because you know that's my normal credit terms. Funnily enough, by the time you've actually spent money on, let's say, wages and materials, that might be instantaneous. It then might take 30 to 40 days to actually make this widget that we're making. It might take another 30 or 40 days to find someone who actually wants to buy it. They might take another 30 or 40 days to pay us. So the ANZ survey came up with an interesting number that it takes approximately 200 days sometimes wow. from the cash leaving your bank account until it comes back. That's quite a lot, isn't it's it? It's pretty I mean, scary. Yeah, that's more than half a year. Exactly, yeah. And what's the one thing that most businesses don't measure? Is how long that cycle takes. Yeah, and then it comes back to how important those processes and systems are, right, to be able to make sure that everything's ticking along. Yeah, the processes yeah. are the key. Yeah, uh, People run the processes and the processes run the business. Yeah. So the, the big question everyone wants to know is how do we make a plan to improve our cash flow? What does the cash flow improvement plan look like? Yeah, well, the cash flow improvement plan is actually fairly simple once we identify what the cash cycle is. Mm. Now, I worked through an example with a manufacturer a few months back. And they were a fairly normal manufacturer. They had a, a cash conversion cycle. It actually worked out to 76 days. So we sat down with that manufacturer and said, right, what can we do? How could we potentially get our customers to pay us a little bit quicker? What could we do to make sure that we don't have too much stock just sitting around gathering dust? So we worked on a few systems, which I'll come to in a minute, in terms of bringing their debtor days down. In other words, speeding up their customers' repayment terms. We managed to knock about nine days off that. We then worked on their inventory, and we managed to work on reducing the amount of stock they had, which actually improved their cash by about six days. Now, nothing had actually changed in terms of profitability, in terms of costs, in terms of profit and loss. But those two little changes, one by nine, one by six, and they're not big numbers, actually for this business turning over one and a half mil, increased their cash by 53,000. Wow. Now, nothing had changed but they had $53,000 worth of extra cash. Now, ask yourself a question. If that $53,000 of extra cash was in your bank now, what could you do with it? 
go on holiday. Uh, potentially, <laughs> yes, that will work. I was probably thinking more along the lines of, could we invest that in the business to make more money? So the cash savings actually might pay for someone's wages. Those wages could generate more work, could generate more sales. So if we focus on the cash and say, oh, profit's not going to change, oh, actually it will. Let's get the cash conversion cycle sorted. Let's figure out the numbers. Let's figure out how we can tweak things. And then let's figure out what we can do with the extra cash that we've just generated to make more profit. Making sense? It does. That's why we all need a Jeremy in our life. Totally. Totally. Um, so we know the, the cash flow improvement plan. If we step backwards, so we have realised, we've identified we, we might have a cash flow problem. We know that there is a plan that we can get to. But what are the key causes? That I, I know that you've got a list of them there, seven key causes of poor cash flow. Can you give us a bit of detail on what these key causes are and maybe some examples of things that you've seen in, in other businesses? Yeah, cool, cool. So I'll, I'll start with the, the top four things that we need to do to move on to those seven sure. um, because we we need to actually first of all understand our cash flow all right so how many business owners do you come across that don't have a cash flow forecast they have a profit forecast they have a sales estimate but they don't know what their cash flow is mm. they're confused about taxes they're confused about loan repayments so step number one and you can't go past this you got to have a cash flow forecast mm. if you can measure it you can manage it so that's the first thing we need to do. Let's get a cash flow forecast in place. We then need to build that cash flow forecast into our accounting software. So for instance, we'll go in through the budget manager in Zero. we'll input our budget numbers, and every month we can start measuring in terms of what we thought we would do, what we have done, how can we learn from that? Mm. Then we start setting goals for our cash flow improvement plan. We've got our forecast, it's in zero or whatever it might be, and we're seeing that we're seeing a constant lag in a particular item. So we're going to start working on some smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-bound goals in terms of what we need to do. So we might say, for instance, right, we need to work on our accounts receivable policy because the cash is too slow. That's great, it's, it's not that specific. Ah, okay. We need to design letters one, two, and three to go out to our customers. They need to go out on certain dates, and they're for customers A, B, and C, or customers that fall within this category, and it'll be run by Bob, and it'll all be in place on the such and such a date. That's getting there, all right? Yep. That's getting there. But what is the point of having a good forecast, setting goals, if you don't have someone independent to hold you accountable to your plan? Mm. And I've said this to you over and over, that independent co-driver is the key. Yes. So we've got this independent co-driver, we've got our cash flow forecast, we've set some smart goals, what are the things that we're likely to be focusing on? Yeah. Those are the seven. Right. right. So the first one, which we've talked about a little bit before, is our accounts receivable. Mm -hmm. How can we get people to pay us a little bit quicker? Right. Now, I'm not a great fan of discounts, so what can we do to speed up the invoicing process? What can we do to speed up how quickly people pay us? Is it us that's slowing it down? Do people feel they can't call someone up and ask for money because they just feel a little bit guilty about it? Mm. Let's look at the whole process from when the invoice is generated to when the customer pays us. Where are the gains that we can make within that process? Quite often we will see that's the big one. Mm. Everyone sends out their invoices, please pay me on the 20th of the following month. Actually, you don't have to accept that anymore. Yeah, right. 
Make the terms work for you. Totally. Yeah. Number two is the opposite. It's the accounts payable process. And here what we're talking about is not something I generally like to talk about, but how can we make maximum use of our suppliers in terms of paying them? Now, I do have quite a few customers who may have one or two main suppliers, and we've had them negotiate with their supplier better terms. So instead of 30 days or 40 days, we're starting with 60 days. They spend a lot of money with that particular supplier. The supplier is pretty happy to be paid on a regular basis. Customer is pretty happy because they've actually got an extra amount of cash floating in their business that hasn't gone to the supplier. Mm. Uh, number three, inventory. Uh, you may have heard me talk about this before, but if it's gathering dust, it needs to be gone. <laughs> so I do focus a lot on the inventory. If you've got a whole lot of money stacked up with inventory that's gathering dust, what good is that doing to the business? Mm. And I think it was, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, the Japanese came up with the concept of just-in-time inventory. And it was one of the car manufacturers, a Honda or a Toyota, they used to have this whole room filled with car batteries that would last them X days, weeks or months worth of production. It was cash just sitting there. Mm. Then someone thought of the idea, why don't we just get what we need for the day or the week delivered so we don't have all that money sitting in stock mm. straight away? The money that wasn't sitting in stock was sitting in the bank account. Yeah, often retail companies get caught up with having so much stock on hand, have over forecast or something terrible like COVID hits and then you're left with almost a year's supply of stock on hand not being able to shift it in a way that you thought you could have. I know, I know. Yeah. Stock can be a real problem because you need to have it to sell but you don't want to have too much of it. Yeah. So you've got to find that fine balance. Mm. Um, number four on my list is a little bit of Cantonese. It's called Inappropriate Debt Capital Structure. Now I worked with a customer of 15, 20 years ago and they were in design and they just decided that they needed a new printer. So they got to the overdraft, wrote the check out in those days, they, there were checks <laughs> and they spent money on this printer. I came along a few weeks later and said, oh, by the way, guys, you know, your, your tax bill's coming up soon. They're like, oh, we haven't got the money for it. We just bought this printer. And I'm going, okay, how much was the printer? Oh, it's about 40 grand. Oh, okay. <laughs> So now we've got 40 grand sitting in a printer that's going to last four or five years, but not sitting in our bank account, and we have no ability to pay our tax. Eek. One of the first lessons you learn in accounting is to match the life of your asset with the life of your borrowings. So not many people would pop out tomorrow and write a check out for a house. They'd probably get a mortgage, probably take them 25 years to pay off. That printer that we were just talking about, should we go and pay for it in cash, or should we actually get a loan and pay it off over the life of the asset. Now all of a sudden, we don't have 40 grand coming out of our bank account, we might have $500 for the first instalment. Mm. Right? Get your debt capital structure right. Number five, overheads. Now a lot of people jump to this one first, but it's actually quite well down the list. Right. It's worthy to look through your overheads once a year. I normally do it when I'm doing my cash flow forecast, and just make sure we're getting the best bang for our buck. I wouldn't spend too much time on the overheads because they are generally tend to be fixed during the year. Number six, which is a really, really big one, and that is that our margin or our gross profit is too low. Mm. Do we all know what our gross profit is? What is our margin? What should it be? How do we compare to our customers? How do we compare to our competitors? All right, gross profit is critical. I did a presentation many years ago 
and there was a customer of mine sitting down the back of the room and I asked the audience to go and calculate their gross profit margin and then for their next three quotes send out a quote that was 1% higher. So just add a little bit on. Well this customer liked this idea so he tootled away and, and they did this and they did it for six months. Uh, sales were pretty much the same year on year. Their net profit increased by $100,000. Wow. Tiny little changes can have massive impacts. Yeah. And I think that's understanding a margin is something that I, as a recent business owner, startup, had no idea about. And actually getting some proper financial advice, mm. you know, it was certainly so paramount in actually just establishing and understanding how I can make more money. <laughs> it's critical. Yeah. And you deal with a business advisor or an accountant that's been in business for 20, 30 years. They know this stuff. Yeah. You don't have to recreate it. It's already been done. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last on the list is sales levels. Now, it's not last for any reason, but it's one of the things that we do need to focus on. If we can make more sales, we can get more cash. But I want to get more sales at a decent margin mm. with low overheads, with the right amount of money spent on assets, not too much stock gathering dust, paying people as late as I can get away with and getting my cash in as quickly as I can. <laughs> That's the summary. Yeah, great. Excellent. Very great detail on all of those, actually. So my last and final question, obviously, we've started 2021. And often the start of the year, particularly January and February, can be months of cash flow struggles. We've, we're coming back from holidays. Some people aren't back in the office till February. There's a bit of downtime here. So what can I or, you know, we as business owners prepare ourselves for these challenges and if I've got to January, February and thought, uh-oh, I actually haven't prepared anything, is there anything I can do reactively in the moment? Yeah, January and February are quite tough in New Zealand because we do end up on the 15th of January having to pay GST, mm. having to pay provisional tax and then potentially a few days later, PAYE, there might be some holiday pay, our customers aren't paying us. We need to be proactive rather than reactive yeah. and we need to get ahead of of the ball and the way we're going to do that is by having a forecast so this January that we've just been we should be doing our forecast 12 months ahead we'll look at that forecast and we'll say hey it looks as though we're going to run out of cash around January or February let's go talk to our bank let's have a chat can we have a temporary overdraft for six weeks please now the bank's going to love us because we're so far in advance that they just think we're brilliant. We have a forecast, we have an independent co-driver helping us achieve our goals. The bank will say, not a problem. What happens to 95% of bank customers around the 14th of January? They ring up the bank, just realising they haven't got enough money to pay GST or the provisional tax. And the banks don't view that very well, but will generally try and help. So the short answer is be proactive, um, work on a cash flow forecast, put it into your accounting system, set some smart goals, and most importantly, have a co-driver or an independent person help drive the results so you're at least 12 months in advance of anything happening. Mm, yeah, great advice. Perfect. Well, that is us for cash flow today. Thank you very much, Jeremy. I feel uh, a lot more empowered in my knowledge around that now. Cool. We will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Common Sense and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you're looking for accounting or coaching services for your business, be sure to reach out via www.oxen.nz. Thanks for tuning in and subscribe.